Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tribe Call Quest. Fred Armisen. Prince Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow! What's up? Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Elia Einhorn, and this week I'm joined from Chicago by Josh Modell. What's up, Elia? Hey, hey, man, it is only appropriate that you're joining us from the Windy City because this is a very shy-centric podcast. Pelican's Trevor DeBrow and American football's Nate Kinsella. I am here representing the Fireside Bowl and all of the 90s, at least. (laughs) Shouts. Now, Trevor and Nate are old friends. The guys have played together a bunch of times over the years, and they were really psyched to get a chance to chat and collaborate backstage at Forum Festival in the conservatory. Now, Forum Fest took place earlier this year in Arcosanti, Arizona, to a sold-out crowd of 2,000 fans. Yes, only 2,000 fans at this festival. But listen, the headliners were Anderson Pac and Florence and the Machine. It was sick. Talkhouse set up backstage in the conservatory, which was co-presented by Pulp Arts and Patreon, and recorded six fantastic conversations. Why didn't you invite me, Elia? Well, I just wasn't sure if you'd want to sleep in a tent. I mean, is Josh Modell down to glamp? That's a very good point. I am a three and a half star hotel or better <laughs> guy. So so probably not. This was definitely a four star view in the mountains in the desert. It was fantastic. And you know what else was fantastic? Getting to hear these two Chicago legends catch up and play together. Trevor DeBrow is, of course, a founding member of Pelican, Relayer, and Tusk. He's an OG pioneer of instrumental post-metal who came to prominence in the 2000s. And DeBrow is back with Pelican for their first album in six years, Nighttime Stories. That just dropped in June. Yeah, and people are definitely loving that record, especially people who are already predisposed to really smart instrumental metal. Let's check out the song Midnight and Mescaline from the latest Pelican. Love it. Classic Pelican. So good. Yeah, those guys are awesome in the truest sense of the word. Now, Nate Kinsella also came out of Chicago's post-rock and emo scene, although he went a slightly different direction than Trevor. Yeah, I think people will recognize Nate's last name since he's the cousin of Tim Kinsella and Mike Kinsella and was in a lot of bands with those guys, including Joan of Arc, Make Believe. He's put out solo records as Birthmark. He's certainly best known at the moment as part of American Football, Mike Kinsella's band, who just put out their third record, super well-received. It's a little hard to differentiate it from the other ones. It's kind of just called LP3, and they all sort of look the same. But it came out in March of this year, and it's gotten rave reviews. LP3 also features some great singers, Haley Williams of Paramore and Rachel Goswell of Slowdive. Yeah, American Football is one of those bands that disappeared for a long time and somehow gained an incredible following by doing nothing at all, which you gotta love that. Gotta love it. And it's well-deserved. Absolutely. Let's check out their track, Silhouettes. Tell me again What's the allure of In 
inconsequential love Really beautiful stuff. Love that band. Trevor and Nate got into quite a bit before their collaboration, which we feature in full here on the podcast, so keep it locked after their conversation. Their chat took in playing in bands with family members and having your musician father hate on your music. Yeah, that's Trevor's pretty amazing story about his dad coming to see one of his uh, less (laughs) pop-oriented bands, let's say. They take in the Chicago post-rock scene and a lot of their favorite bands. We hear names like Dillinger 4, Sunny Day Real Estate, and Shudder to Think. Yeah, and they super geek out on learning odd time signatures. They talk about tone clusters. They talk about metal. And in slightly less geeky territory, they talk about parenthood. (laughs) Love it. Should we roll the tape? Yeah, man, let's hear it. So we were trying to remember the last time we hung out. Yeah, and I think it was at Abbey Pub. Right. Is that place still around? Physically, as a structure, it still exists. <laughs> I don't think that they're doing anything there anymore. That's too bad. Yeah. Was that when Chord played? Was it a Chord? Yeah. Show? Okay. That was. I remember having a really good time. Uh, it was a good time, but it was a weird turnout. I yeah. feel like there were like ten people there, and Chord, which most people listening to this probably wouldn't know, is my ambient group. Where it's just five of us, and each of us plays one note, and it makes up a chord. And there was a hippie woman doing some crazy rain dance while we were playing. And my dad came out to the show, and he didn't really know what chord was, and he was furious after the show. <laughs> so that was, that was a weird one for me. Yeah? Was he upset because he just, like, uh, oh, yeah, why was he? The piece we played that night was super conceptual. It was like we all started on the same note and then one person would go up in interval and then another person would go up in interval and then eventually we all went up in octave and went unison on one note. And then we started going back down the scale but instead of using like harmonically pleasing intervals, we were going down a half step at a time. So there was just this insane tone cluster for like 15 minutes and That'll my, make dad angry. Yeah, my dad was furious. <laughs> and I showed him, like, the, we did, like, charts and notation for it, and I showed it to him, and he was like, why didn't you show the, this notation to the audience before you play? Uh, and just like, I, dad, I don't know. Is he a musician? It sounds like, yeah. okay, it sounds yes. like he knows, okay, he's like, the process is important. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. So he, he got it once I explained it. But yeah. it was a, I could understand why if you went to see your son's band play and it's just harrowing noise for 15 <laughs> minutes that you might... Be a little bit disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah. The Kinsellas are obviously a family concern. Do you have any oh, yeah. interesting uh, situations like that with family members that came out and maybe didn't like totally get the vibe? Um, everyone's pretty s- supportive. There hasn't been any anyone angry at <laughs> any of our shows for what we're doing. Yeah, we're like, I guess the three of us are, Mike and Tim and I are, we obviously they play quite a bit and we're kind of the only ones in the family that like do that regularly. I mean, we have some, you know, some other cousins and stuff like play, play guitar. Yeah. And, but I don't have a, a good story about someone being, a relative being angry at one of our shows. Were you part of the Winter Wonderland sing-along on the very punk Christmas double seven inch? Oh no, I wasn't, but I had that <laughs> seven inch. I remember getting it. My sister got it. 
And she got another Captain Jazz 7-inch too. I think we must have gone to Chicago and then she got those. I think they must have given, Tim and Mike must have given them to my sister, who's older than me. I didn't know that they played in, in cool bands. Until so, like, <laughs> I was, I've come for like five years younger than Tim. Okay. Two and a half years younger than Mike. And like, that's a big enough of an age difference when you're younger. Yeah. You know, when you're like, if you have a, I remember hanging out at Tim's graduation party when, he, when he's like 18 and I'm like 13. And that's a huge, you're in much different parts of your life at, yeah. at those ages. Mm-hmm. So um, I wasn't really hip to what they were doing until later, until I was maybe a few years later. I remember that age well. I remember one time being at a show at Fireside Bowl and a friend of mine and I hitched a ride with like, I think Jason Mojica and like maybe Mark Ruvalo to some party after the show. Uh-huh. And... You know, my friend and I had no conception that we were going to end up like at some city adult party. And then we were like, wait, we've got to go home. How do we get home? <laughs> I think we asked like whoever drove us and they were like, yeah, I don't know how you're getting home. Like, <laughs> this is pre, pre-Lyft, pre-Uber. Yeah. You just kind of get stranded. Yeah. I remember going to punk shows. Uh, I, when I lived in Minneapolis as a teenager, I would go see Dillinger 4 play all the, all the time. Yeah, fuck and yeah. I was like way into them and would go and see them in their basement. And, uh, but I was like so shy and like nervous. I'd just like sit in the corner kind of sweating and uh, while they were like having a raging party. But it was great. The first show I ever played, I was in a horrible pseudo-punk band called The Mighty Chuck. And our first show was in Roy Burgess's basement in Skokie and the pre-Dillinger 4 band Anchor House. It was their last show. And I remember during their set, Pat Costello saying, the mighty Chuck, give it up for the mighty Chuck. If you guys stick at it when you're 18, you're going to (laughs) rule, which was very generous of him because it took much longer than that before I was playing listenable music. (laughs) But that, uh, that always stuck with me. Yeah, he was a really nice guy. He was like insane during their shows. I remember (laughs) we set up a show for them in some suburb, like New Brighton, in Minneapolis, which isn't a suburb that anyone would go to to see a show, but like <laughs> our band was playing, we're like, just ask them, they might say yes. So they came out and played, and like Patty was playing. By the end of the set, his finger was like bleeding, and mm-hmm. he used crazy glue to glue the wound together. And I'm like, oh my God, this guy's insane. And then he came up to me after we played, he was like, ah, oh, I really like your playing. We play like a, kind of like a similar way. <laughs> and I was like, what? What? <laughs> I'm not bleeding. Uh, that was that's like a, cool. That was like a low key threat. He wants to watch you bleed. <laughs> I was. I was. It was very charming. I was like, "Wow, this guy's actually really cool." Even though he seems like a maniac. Yeah, they were all nice really guy. Nice. On the plane out here, I listened to your new record, which is awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and I was trying to think of similarities between the bands that we play in now. I think there are quite a few. Some people may say that they, they, would, they sound very different, but I think there are actually quite a few similarities. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. One of them was that I think that your song structures are similar to ours in a way where we're not like often returning to things. It's yeah. kind of like the, uh, the compositions are more like uh, A to B. Maybe you go back to A, then maybe you go to a C part, and then you kind of hint at the B, but then go to a D part, which you haven't heard yet before. <laughs> it's cool. I really like it. Yeah, to me, songs are more interesting, especially as an instrumental band. Like I find songs to be much more interesting if they're sort of like a journey where you're not going back and forth between parts. You're just sort of like on a trajectory towards yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I, I, think that's, uh, I think that's the way to go. The guitar interplay, mm-hmm. there's some um, 
you know, well, there's no vocals in Pelican, so it's like you're hearing the guitars is like the focus of it. Yeah. For me, anyway, when I was listening to it. And um, there's some, some really cool interplay timing stuff and also thickening, like thickening the chords in like really cool ways. Mm-hmm. And there's, this, I like, I don't, I don't, I haven't played guitar in a long time, but there's like one thing that I recognize is like, man, if you, when you play a power chord on like, say you're on like the, the, on the A string, of uh, traditional tuning on the A <laughs> string, but you add the fifth below it, yeah. it gets you that growl, and I love it. Anyways, I think I heard that a few times, and I was like, oh, that's badass. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> I love it. It feels really good, and like recording sounds really good. It's super meaty. Yeah, and of course, there's a ton of guitar interplay in, in American football, too. That's kind of like a, a thing. Let me ask you this about American football. One thing that I think stands out to a lot of people about the band is the use of like odd time signatures. When you guys are writing, and that's something that we do a little bit of too, when you're writing, do you, are you guys like doing math or is it just sort of like playing by feel and the feel just happens to be in these weird zones? We try as hard as we can to do it by feel. Mm -hmm. I try to not count unless I have to. Yeah. So I don't really know. Like, I don't know what time signatures a lot of the things are in. When I, well, Steve Holmes, who plays guitar, he, he, like, he loves to figure stuff out like that and kind of count it out. And I, ha- I think it helps for some people to get the numbers in their mind to put it, contextualize it in a different way to help you play it. But I try to not count. I used to play in, also in a lot of bands that weren't very uh, tasteful or good. <laughs> like we've all been there. And I was used to playing super county bands. Like, we're like, okay, we would be talking about numbers more than we would t- be talking about the music of it. And um, That was like a whole Midwest thing for a while, yeah, I think. I did it in the Midwest. I was there. <laughs> <laughs> and it was cool. And like, I'm so happy I did it, and I feel like it got my chops up to where I could, it feels naturally. Like, I can feel uh, odd rhythms in, like, a natural way because I did it for a while like that. Yeah. And so it totally helped now. I think that's sort of what it was like for me, too, because my interest in weird meters really came from the Sunny Day Real Estate second album, ah. the self-titled one. The self-titled one, which it's the it's the got pink the pink one? cover. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah. They have that think- song five four on there, but it yeah. like that even that song is not in five four for most of it. And then like there's all these other weird time signatures. And like I used to drive around in my teenage years listening to that record over and over again and just counting like on the driver's yeah. you know on the steering wheel. Yeah, and it made me interested in writing like that. And I would do a lot of counting, but then over the years, it just sort of infected the way I hear music to the point that I just don't even think to count when I'm writing a part and it's only when I'm showing the drummer that they're like wait what what are you doing (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah totally did you listen to any show to think when you were younger no not really oh that was a big one and they were for me anyway and they did a lot of odd time signature stuff that that felt very natural but it was one of those things where I listened to it like god what is that (laughs) what is happening right there how do they all know yeah super formative band for me but I was also way into Sanity Real Estate, and especially that, that Pink album was um Yeah, it was, a, it was a game changer. Yeah. And then they just sort of dissipated after that. <laughs> yeah. They came back eventually. I went and saw Jamie Enix's Return of the Frog Queen tour recently. Mm. That was like um, a few months ago, maybe four yeah, months I ago. Yeah, I guess I feel like I heard about it. Did I you miss- get into that album? I loved it, yeah. yeah. I thought it was great. Yeah, me too. That was like another huge one for me. And uh, I went to that show and I was like, I totally got weepy, like twice, <laughs> twice. 
I'm an, I'm a grown good. man now. It doesn't <laughs> happen that often, but I, but they really hit because I saw him play on that the first tour when it happened. Like they came through Minneapolis and played first half, and I don't remember there being a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. But I just listened to it over and over again, and yeah, it was very. It was so great to go back and see it again and be like, oh, I still have these emotions. <laughs> I'm still they're, there. They're buried deep inside. Yeah. Thank you. I, in a way, I feel like more emotional now. Well, not more emotional than I was when I was a teenager, but I feel like the most emotional now as I have as an adult. And I think a lot of it has to do with parenthood, but then some of it has to do with like how fucking fucked up everything is all the time now. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's it's totally like messing with my equilibrium. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I think we were texting about this. I was like, what's up? We haven't talked so long. I have two kids now. And like you have kids, you have kids too. Yeah. You have two? Yeah, two. Boy, boys and... Both boys. Wow. There's going to be a lot of testosterone in the house. <laughs> I'm very freaked out about that. That's okay. I've, um, yeah. I think you can you can help. I mean, you can sort of guide. I have two girls, okay. So I'm I want to be the odd one out, but um, I feel like I'm not a very like testosterone heavy kind of person. So I think it's cool. It'll be fine. I wanted to have a boy so I could help shape a young man to be like a respectful uh, man. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, because I feel like they a lot of them need some help. Yeah, I've met a lot of guys who're like, oh God. Yeah, mo- most of them could use some help. <laughs> um, it's an awesome responsibility, yeah. you know, to have that. But I think so far it feels like we're doing right by Damien, our, our eldest, mm-hmm. and by the world. I mean, he seems like a lot more empathic than other kids his age, so hopefully that just carries through. Yeah. How you old know? is he? Uh, he's six and a half. Six and a half. Turning seven in the summer. Cool. Yeah, I have, no idea. Uh, I have a, a four-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. Okay. So I'm kind of those. Uh, I've yet to experience like the sort of the development that happens, you know, getting into the. Yeah, I'm still at the sort of beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a two-month-old, so our our little ones are not that far apart. Oh wait, what? You have a two-month-old? Yeah, a six-year-old and a two-month-old. Mm-hmm. Whoa! Congrats. Yeah, uh, Damien lobbied very hard for a sibling. You so. wanted one. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> it, wor- it worked out. For ev- yeah. I think for everybody. Yeah. That's great. Wow, two months. Well, congrats for even being, being out here. Yeah. <laughs> Making it out. That's cool. I have one, th- one funny thing that I thought of on the way up here. Uh, there's a, a Pelican show flyer that is my favorite show flyer. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's, uh, I brought it up on my phone. <laughs> um, it's a... I'll just describe it. I'm sure you know what it is. It was from New Year's Eve 2015 <laughs> when there's competing American football and Pelican shows happening that, in Chicago. Yeah. And on the American football flyer, uh, poster, tour poster, there, or not tour, show poster, there's, you know, the picture of the, the house, like the yeah. sort of iconic house. From, from the cover of your first album. Yeah. And then... On the Pelican one, there's a picture of a very similar looking house, but it's on fire and it's being burned down. Yeah. What's great about it is that the address of the American football house is 702 in real life, and you can mm-hmm. see it on the poster. But the address of the Pelican house was 704, so it's just next door. That's, yes, that's. There's a lot of thought put into this poster, and yeah. I, I love it. We saw it, we were like, <laughs> that is so badass. Like, that's so, it makes it on so many levels, like competing shows in the same city, one's gonna be burning down, and like, that's, that's great. What? 
is so interesting about that poster is that Jay Ryan did the Pelican Show poster, and he did it as a reaction to the poster for your show. He didn't know about the cover of the album. He didn't know that it was like this <laughs> iconic thing and that that was like a reference to an album cover. So he posted that on like gig posters or something like that. And everybody was like, oh no, shots fired. Like <laughs> Pelican's got beef with American football. And then I, I remember like a mutual friend of both bands posted something about it on, on Instagram. And Larry was like, oh no, people think we've got beef. And like, I, I think he got on the the phone with Mike or something like oh, that. Really? Just thought I just called him to let him know, hey, you know, the, there's no drama. It's <laughs> <laughs> like really just trying to do an homage and do some yeah, oh my do, God. do something strategic and funny about yeah. the two the two shows being on the same that night. Is hilarious. But yeah. Yeah, because I know he's buddies with Dan Black, who's the guy who did our poster. Yeah. They're tight. So that is hilarious. <laughs> there was a there was a show where we had a, at, at um in Chicago at Lincoln Hall where we had a, the house sort of backdrop up and Joan of Arc opened up the show and they had um, they were planning on doing projections I was like cool well and then we didn't see it until they started playing and it was they were just projected fire but it was being projected <laughs> onto our backdrop so it looked like they were burning the house down too there's lots of people like getting ready to burn this house down I'm not don't, please don't nobody don't get any ideas and I had yeah this is this just follows you guys. I know people really want to burn that house down. And when we were talking about the <laughs> album art for this, the LP three that just came out, one idea that I had that was pretty much immediately shot down. I was like, guys, we can't do the house anymore. What if we did? What if we did a shot in the middle of nowhere of a house just completely burned to the ground, like charred, just like ashes, like you can't even. And I told, I told my friend Corey, who's playing Vibes with us, he's like, did you guys make like a death metal album? Because that's what it's going to look like if you do that artwork. That's, the, that's what people are going to think. I'm like, okay, maybe that's a little over the top. I, I would definitely listen to your death metal record. <laughs> I'd be down to hear the American football death metal record. Yeah, I wonder, Mike's really into metal, actually. Really? Yeah, he is. More than I even realized, he's like... I read an interview with him recently where he claimed he doesn't listen to music anymore. He only listens to sports. That might also be true. <laughs> he doesn't. I'm not in. I don't pay any attention to sports. But he, yeah. He did a playlist that was like all um, Iron Maiden songs recently. Nice. I think that's what it was. Yeah. I'm not so. I mean, I'm, I kind of missed the boat on metal. I was late to metal. I discovered metal in junior high school, but then like after punk came into my life it kind of like it was almost like a a flood that washed everything else away yeah and then i had to build back into other music <laughs> over time cuz like rem was like my favorite band in the world and then punk happened and i was like rem is lame <laughs> like no no notion of the fact that they had like a connection to punk and all of that and yeah it's just funny how that happens yeah I got really into Metallica, kind of like when my sister did. She's a couple years older than me, and she got into all good music, and then that's how I got into it was through her. And I remember her playing Metallica like in the car, and we'd go on like a family trip somewhere, and I was like, "What is this? <laughs> this is every they sound kind of angry, and every song kind of sounds the same. I can't really tell the difference." I was like curious about it because I'd only listen to songs like on the radio, mm -hmm. but then I really got into it. I like, bought all their albums, and now I super love Metallica. At least their earlier stuff. I had kind of lost track with what they're doing. They're recently. sort of a first four albums band. Yeah. Not unlike Black Sabbath, but they, they have records past the first four that are listenable. It's just, I feel like that 
there's something about that era of metal, maybe, where... Yeah. They seemed like they were really doing interesting things, like on Injustice for All and, like, Master of Puppets. They had some really cool musical interludes and things that sounded, I don't know, like, smart and interesting. Yeah, and the lyrics on Injustice for All are so well-meaning in terms of political conscientiousness. But, uh, yeah, it's just so weird, the direction they went after that. Yeah, I kind of lost track of them. They're still around, right? It's this like a ju- they're like a juggernaut. They'll be around forever. I'm certain. Yeah, they. Yeah, they're still around. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of one more similarity between the two bands: guitar tunings. I noticed that you guys. Well, I think it was on this. Maybe. I hope I put the songs on my iPod in the right order. Maybe I listened to your album in the right order. <laughs> but I think it was like the second song. Maybe it was the second song in. It became clear, like that, their the, your guitars are dropped too, like in a drop tuning. Yeah, so we play f- five half steps down. We're in five standard tuning, but it's B B to B down to B. Yeah. Do you up the gauge on your strings? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What gauge? We can get super nerdy. Uh, like, I'm not good with the technical stuff. The the Diodario E22s or something. I, I guess they're like. They're jazz strings. I don't know what yeah. they are. <laughs> That's cool. I'm not. Yeah, we we have to, we drop everything down. Like I I play. Uh, I have a low C sharp, so I'm not quite there. <laughs> not we're not quite quite that low. But I love uh, how they sound when strings are slack like that. When you dig into them in the when you play them low, there's this growl and you can hear it. Uh, yeah, you can hear it from slacking and like they kind of resonate more yeah. too. Yeah. It's cool. It's interesting that you're in C sharp. The other band I'm in, Relayer, I use that same B tuning, but our bass player is in C sharp. Oh, okay. And he has to do all kinds of calculations to figure out parts. It's tough. Mm. I'm actually kind of lost because I, I grew up like most people playing in standard tuning, and then having to switch it around. Like the the template is gone. I'm like, I don't know where an E is on this thing. I don't, I'm like trying to get better at it, but um, I'm still kind of lost. I just know like the relationships between everything, but <laughs> getting around, like finding a note, I'm like looking at the tuner, like I think that's it. <laughs> if I have to hit something specific. I wonder if there's any other questions that I had. Oh, you play with brothers in your band. Yeah. You play, you have a brother rhythm section. It's true. How does it, so you're between them, I think sonically, you fit in between them <laughs> in the guitar because you got the bass and the drums, the drums are very like, high and low, like cymbals and then like thuddiness and you're kind of right in between. Is your relationship with them also like that? Where do you get stuck in between there? Do they argue and you're like, guys, guys. (laughs) (laughs) We had a period which was like that. They come from like a super like big family where like it seems like there's a real focus on family in in their clan. So we always get like tons of relatives at our local shows and stuff like that. And I think because they grew up so close, but their personalities are so different that after many years on tour, it brought out conflicts that maybe would have been able to simmer otherwise. <laughs> um, but they came, they man- after we stopped touring regularly, everything kind of came back into focus. And now yeah. like they're they're like the tightest friends I can imagine. That's awesome. Yeah, touring can really do that to you. I do it less and less just because I have kids now, but even just having time away from my wife at home, who Jamie, who I, who I love dearly, um, Mother's Day is in two days, so I'm not going to like... But 
when you have time away, you come home and you're like, oh man, this is what I like. I missed you. Yeah. I like, and but you're with the same person every day. You don't really think about it. You just kind of get into a routine. But uh, but um, I forget. I'm like, oh, you make I like laugh every day uh, with you, and yeah. you help me to do that. And like, my life is better. So it's yeah, and it's you nice. and you can get to that zone in bands too if you don't tour. Totally. Six to seven months out of the year. Because I get in a van with those guys and I'm not like, ugh. Yeah. I'm like, it's so good to spend time with you guys. Mm-hmm. You're my buddies. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, in a band Make Believe that I used to play in with Tim, mm-hmm. we, we definitely kind of got through some, like, there was some, like, rough times in there between the two of us. Not that we ever really talked about, but there would just be tension. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, but now we see each other, like, once every couple months or something, and it's awesome. I'm like... This is great. You guys got to tour with Joan of Arc, didn't you? Uh, American football? We did some shows okay. with them. I don't think we really like toured, proper toured. Yeah, I, I feel like I remembered seeing some shows, but that would have been like... Shoot, did we? <laughs> I don't, I Man, don't know. <laughs> my memory's gone like, pretty bad. Um, do you have any touring coming up? Yeah, we're doing a tour in June... And then we're going to Europe in October. Cool. Yeah. How long is that Europe trip? Two weeks. Two weeks? That's about the maximum we can do. Yeah. Especially right now with a two-month-old. Yeah. It's like trying to get away for longer than that is really hard. We've done three-week tours in the past since our hiatus, and that can work, but it is like a little bit like you feel so stranded away from your family yeah. after a period of time, you know? Totally. So I'm thinking about the hippie woman that was dancing at the court show. <laughs> and uh, I'm th- I, was, I was thinking about how crowds would be different at Pelican shows versus American football shows. Do crowds ever get like, because the music is very physical. Like, mm-hmm. Pel- like Pelican, I can, hear, I can hear everyone playing, the energy that goes into playing. You know what I mean? I think with American sure. football, it's more precise and it's, um, it's like relaxed and I don't know. It's, I don't, you, you make... Five eight sounds so smooth though. <laughs> <laughs> but so at American football shows, everyone's kind of like watching, just kind of checking out. But imagine at Pelican shows, like that can bring, especially with it being like loud and stuff. Like, does it ever get out of control? Like, not with like hippie dancing, but like people kind of getting physical, and you're like, whoa, this is. Let's, let's keep it cool. Has that happened? I don't think I've ever had to tell an audience to chill out. Yeah, there's like definitely some like thrashers and whatnot and like there have very occasionally been pits Mm -hmm. but it tends to be pretty chill yeah we did one show we did this really weird tour called the taste of chaos did you ever hear of that no it was started by kevin lyman who did warp tour and it was sort of like the metal warp tour okay and the headliners on that year were like thrice and deftones and uh we were definitely the odd band out. Yeah. We were like the weird arty band on this tour. And we played at Long Beach Arena, which is where uh, Iron Maiden recorded Live After Death. Um, and that, that will always be a special show in my memory because of that. <laughs> but also I remember some dude got on stage and it must have been like a 15-foot barricade between the stage and the crowd. And I don't know where he came from, but he got on the stage and attempted a stage dive and went smack into the barricade oh is the most painful thing I've ever seen. Ugh. So, yeah, I guess there are rare occasions where, where people get a little too 
two out out there. <laughs> yeah, I hope that guy's okay. Yeah, wow. Well, form seems pretty chill. I think we're. Yeah, I don't think you're gonna get any thrashers during yeah. your set today. It's seated. There's like an amphitheater. I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be like relaxed. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Cool catching up with you. It was great catching up with you too. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to watching your set. Do you want us to hang out more right now? Yeah. Oh, what? we were gonna play. Why don't we jam? Okay, let's do it. <laughs>
really beautiful stuff there. Thank you so much to Nate Kinsella and to Trevor DeBrow for joining us here on the TalkHouse podcast. Big thanks to Pulp Arts, Patreon, and Form Festival for hosting TalkHouse. Listeners, for a video version of today's show, you can head over to FormFest's YouTube page. There you'll find videos of other talks we recorded at the fest, including Robert Glasper with Viu Farcatoure and Snail Mail with Fred Armisen and Mary Lynn Rice Cub. Yeah, and if you want to complete your TalkHouse Kinsella trifecta, you can go over to TalkHouse.com and hear talks with Tim Kinsella and Devendra Banhart and Mike Kinsella with Andy Hull of Manchester Orchestra. Josh, do we just shut the site down now that we've had all the Kinsellas on? Oh, I bet there's a lot more Kinsellas out there. We're going to get Trevor's dad on too. Hang tight. Today's show was recorded by Mark Yoshizumi, Danny Clifton, and Ian Jones, and co-produced by Mark Yoshizumi. The TalkHouse theme song was composed and performed by The Range. We've got some great behind-the-scenes photos from Form on our social channels, including Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and wherever else you might social. That's all at TalkHouse. Until next week, I'm Ellie Einhorn. I'm Josh Modell. Peace! And post-rock. This podcast was recorded in 11-4 time. <laughs>